0: All Rise, the Ashley Murphy murder trial with Frank Graney, a News Talk original podcast.
1: A woman in her 20s has died following an assault in County Offaly. The incident happened along the canal bank at Capincur in Tullamore at around four o'clock this afternoon. Breaking news the arrest made on suspicion of murder of Ashley Murphy, the schoolteacher. Joseph Puska of Linali Grove, Mukla, County Offaly, appeared before a special sitting of Tullamore District Court last night.
0: On the afternoon of the 12th of January last year, Ashley Murphy, a 23 year old school teacher, was killed while out for a run along the banks of the Grand Canal in Tullamore.
1: Joseph Puska, a Slovakian man who was living at Lenali Grove in Mukla, County Offaly at the time, is on trial for her murder. He has pleaded not
0: guilty. I'm Frank Graney, Courts Correspondent for News Talk,
1: And I'm Ashling Moore, Radio Producer.
0: I'll be in the Central Criminal Court for every minute of the Ashley Murphy murder trial.
1: And every evening we'll bring you a factual, accurate and balanced account of what the jury hears on any given day.
0: And only what the jury hears. It's their job to decide on the facts of this case and they'll do so based only on the evidence presented to them at trial.
1: This is All Rise, the Ashling Murphy murder trial. Welcome to episode three. Snow White. So a very busy day in court today with eight witnesses giving evidence before the jury. And before any of them were called, Frank, the defence made some formal admissions.
0: That's right, Ashley, And before Josef Pushka's barrister did so, Mr Justice Tony Hunt took a moment to explain that process. So as we've already pointed out in any criminal trial, the onus when it comes to proving evidence always rests with the prosecution and the defence are entitled to call for every relevant fact to be proven by the other side. But sometimes when there is no dispute between the two sides, certain admissions can be made and that's what happened this morning. Once uh, the judge had explained that much, uh, Michael Bowman, again he's the barrister representing Josef Pushka, was then invited to address the jurors. He took to his feet, said there was no issue with the formal identification of Ashley Murphy's body uh, that was done. We heard by her brother Cahill, uh, the day after she was killed. And from the defence's point of view, uh, there's also no issue with the removal of her body from the scene and uh, it being brought to Tullamore Hospital. And they, the defence, that is, accepted the cause of, of death as identified, which, as we heard yesterday, was as a result was as a result of uh, stab wounds to the neck. So those formal admissions were made uh, this morning before any witnesses were called.
1: So these admissions then save time, I presume, because the prosecution won't be required to prove all of those elements, as would be the case if they were in dispute.
0: Yeah, precisely. And the judge also told the jurors that another element of the law that may take effect where witness evidence is not in dispute is is when that's the case. And, you know, if that's the case, an out of court statement may be read into the record instead of requiring a witness to attend in person. And when that arises, the jury simply accepts the out of court statement. But that hasn't arisen in this case yet. and, And the jury wasn't given any indication as to whether it will arise at later in the trial. It was just, I suppose, some opening remarks by the judge, again, before witnesses were called.
1: Okay. The jury then heard from a detective sergeant, Paul Curran, who described taking aerial photos of the scene where Ashling's body was found. This was the following day and he used a drone to take the photos and he also took a number of photos from the ground. Inside the crime tape was how he put it and all of those photos gave the jurors a sense of the type of terrain in and around the Grand Canal in Tullamore. Mm -hmm. After he stepped down, the prosecution then called its first civilian witness. Her name was Jenna Stack.
0: Yes, um, Jenna Stack was the second witness called today, as you say, uh, the first civilian witness. And her evidence took us right up until the lunch break. So she told us that she lives in a village just maybe seven miles or so outside Tullamore. She's a teacher. And we heard that on the 12th of January last year, she arranged to meet her friend Aoife uh, for a run. She left work at about ten to three that afternoon. She met Eva about twenty minutes later. She said they planned on doing a seven-kilometer run, three and a half kilometers down the canal and three and a half kilometers back. And on their run, she said a bike caught her eye. She described it as having a luminous green handlebars, which stood out for her. Uh, she was nearest the ditch as they were running along the canal, while her friend Eva was closer to the canal. And she described this, a bike that had caught her attention as being pushed down into the hedgerow, which she thought was odd. Uh, the two friends stopped. She said they chatted for a moment. And as they continued their run, she remembered thinking that it was a really nice bike that she had just seen and wondered uh, what it was doing there. She was, at this point, she was shown uh, a photograph of a bicycle. She was asked if that was the bike that she saw that afternoon while out for her run. She said it was. So she and Eva continued their run, but she said they didn't get very far, maybe a metre or two beyond the bike when she said she heard a lot of noise coming from the hedge. It wasn't an animal, she said. She said it sounded like somebody was struggling um, she thought somebody was in trouble, that maybe somebody had fallen off their bike. So they stopped running. And she said she moved closer to the hedge. She shouted in to see if somebody needed help. And I should say, uh, she told the jury that she couldn't see anybody at this point. She couldn't see anything at this point, just this noise, which she described as quite distinct. And at this point, she said she became frightened. She said that she remembered turning to Efa to ask if she heard the noise too, as she replied that she did. And wondering if somebody was down in that dense undergrowth, she said that she took a closer look and could see the back of a jacket. She said it looked like a Navy bomber padded jacket. And she said that she shouted, are you okay? What are you doing? And at that point, she said the man turned around to face her. She said she could see his face clearly, but couldn't see his hands because he was holding somebody down, a girl judging by the clothing that she could see.
1: And did this man say anything to her?
0: He did, or at least Jenna claimed that he did. Uh, in her evidence, um, she told the jury that when he turned um, to face her, he said, get away in what she described as a foreign accent. Um, she said his teeth were gritted. Uh, she said that he had an angry facial expression. Uh, she described the whole experience as terrifying. She told the jury that this man was crouched over the girl. Uh, she described the girl as kicking out hard, like a scissors kick, she said. Uh, she said that she was the girl was crying out for help. Um, she described her as strong, uh, said she was moving whatever part of her body she could, using her core to lift her legs was how she put it. And she said that the man was holding this girl down and she thought that he had or was about to rape her.
1: And did she get a good look at him?
0: She said she did. And when she was asked by, and this was all in her direct evidence. um, So when she was asked by the prosecuting barrister, Ms. Anne-Marie Lawler, to describe what he looked like, she said that he had a receding hairline, shaved head, dark stubble, sallow skin and distinctive dark eyebrows. She said that his jacket, this padded jacket, was zipped up and she described seeing a stamp uh, on the left hand side of the jacket, the breast part of the jacket uh, was how she described it on the left-hand side.
1: And what did Jenna do next?
0: Well, again, she said that she thought this man was going to rape the girl. So she took a step back, uh, told him she had a phone on her and she told him that she was going to call the guards and she hoped this would make him get off the girl, leave her alone. But as it turns out, neither she nor Aoife had their phones on them. Again, they were out for a run along the canal that afternoon. She claimed that this man then made a sudden movement, that he lunged up at them as if to frighten them. Uh, She said that she was about four feet away from him in a slightly elevated position because the ditch sloped downward. So he was lower down than her. Um, They weren't there long, uh, according to Jen in her evidence, maybe 30 seconds or so. And after that interaction, she said she and Aoife just legged it. Uh, She said they ran as fast as they could up towards a nearby bridge called Digby Bridge in the hope of finding some help, uh, which they did. And she said in her evidence today that as they ran, again, to raise the alarm to find some help, she said that her heart was absolutely pounding.
1: And her friend Aoife was also with her at this point?
0: Yes, uh, she was. Aoife Martin is her name. But when she took the stand this afternoon, she said that she preferred to be addressed by her maiden name, which is Aoife Marin. Um At the time, again, back in, in January of last year, she was on maternity leave and she said that she remembered meeting Jenna that day again to go out for a run and... I should say she wasn't actually in the course room while Jenna was giving evidence. She was outside uh, while her friend testified. And she said that she remembered the precise time they started their run because according to her Garmin app, it was 12 minutes past three in the afternoon. She described Jenna pointing out the bike. She too thought it was strange. Uh, She also said that she remembered a noise coming from the ditch a short distance from where they saw that bike. She described it as the sound of branches breaking a cracking noise, rustling. She said they went over to where the noise was coming from, where she saw uh, there was a man with his head down. Um, she told the jury today that she thought he had fallen off his bike uh, into that ditch. So she started shouting, are you okay? Uh, she said he was shouting back, okay, okay, while moving up from the ditch. And she said that she thought he was going to crawl out and come and get them. So she said they ran away to get help, and that when they did, she said, Jenna told her that there was a girl there and that she thought she might have been raped or was about to be raped. Um, She said Aoife, that is, in her evidence today to the jury, said that she was terrified. uh, And she said that as they sprinted off looking for help, she kept looking over her shoulder uh, in case the man was coming after them.
1: Okay, I want to return to Jenna's evidence for a moment because during her cross-examination, Mr Pushka's barrister gave a very different version of events.
0: That's right, um, he did. Uh, Michael Bowman, who is representing Mr Pushka, uh, put it to Jenna that Josef Pushka was actually trying to help Ashley that afternoon.
1: So Mr Pushka is accepting that he was there?
0: Yes, and the judge asked that very question of Michael Bowman a number of times. Uh, he's accepting he was there, uh, remembers an interaction with Jenna Stack, but his version of events, as you say, is is very different. and And that was pushed to Ms. Stack uh, under cross examination. Mister Bowman suggested that what she came across that day was Josef Pushka trying to find out what happened and trying to assist her. Um, she said. Jenna or Jenna Stack that is told him in reply to that no he could have asked us for help she was asked if she was aware of anyone else being present she said she wasn't she was asked if there was anyone else in the field or beyond that ditch she said no uh, mr bowman said it was his client's recollection that there was some engagement between them and uh, that he couldn't make out what she jenna was saying to him and that he didn't intend to be aggressive. He suggested that when he was seeking to speak to her, he got his leg caught in some briars as he tried to get out of that hedge and that he shouted out in pain. That's not the impression I got, Jenna said, under this cross-examination. She told, uh, she said that she told him that she was going to call the guards, uh, to which Mr. Bowman said his client had no recollection of that happening at all. Mr. Bowman said that he was instructed uh, that she had reached out And was holding or had both hands on his forearm. This was the girl, Ashley Murphy, because as Mr. Bowman said, again, under instructions from his client, he was trying to stop bleeding on her neck. He asked uh, Jenna if she had seen that. Jenna said no. She said, I knew there was something wrong. I could tell by her. He was holding her down, leaning over her. I saw enough to know she was kicking her legs, completely distressed. I was terrified.
1: Michael Bowman also asked her about an ID parade she took part in the following day. What can you tell us about that?
0: Yeah, and again, uh, Jenna Stack was in the witness box for some time, as I say, after that first witness was called um, to talk about aerial photographs and photo, photographs taken on the ground. She was, the next witness called, and she was right up until lunchtime. And and after telling Garthie uh, on the day that, Ashley Murphy was allegedly murdered after telling Garthy that she got a good look at the man's face. Jenna told them that she would be able to recognise him if she saw him again. So she was actually asked to take part in an ID parade the following day. We heard a number of men with beards or stubble dressed in casual clothes were lined up and she was asked to look at them carefully. She walked up and down that lineup before selecting suspect number six. She said the reason she picked him was Due to his eyes, she told the guards she was 100% sure that he was the guy she saw leaning over the girl in the canal. And as it turns out, that wasn't Mr Pushka. And when that was put to Jenna by Mr Bowman, she accepted that was the case. But she said he was very similar. And... She was re-examined by the other side so once her cross-examination had concluded the prosecuting barrister, Ms Anne-Marie Lawler was given an opportunity to re-examine the witness and she asked Jenna if she had made a mistake when she picked out that man at that ID parade and Jenna said that she had. She was then asked if she had made any other mistakes uh, in her evidence and she said that she had not.
1: So Jenna Stack's evidence brought us right up to the lunch break and then the jury heard from her friend Aoife Marin. Now, later in the afternoon, they heard evidence from the first person to see Ashling's body. What did he have to say?
0: That's right. And and this was some uh, distressing evidence um, given by a man called Enda Malloy, who was out for a cycle on his vintage High Nelly bike when he said that he came across um, Jenna and Efa. He knew Aoife um, and, and he said that they were having an animated exchange with two other men. He said they told him there was a man with his hand on a girl's mouth, on her throat, he said in his evidence today. He hadn't seen anything himself when he cycled past that portion of the canal, but he turned around, uh, cycled down the back that, the way that he had come from as hard as he could to see if he could see anything. He said he saw a bicycle. He stopped. He looked down a ditch. It was to his right. He said he was looking to see if there was somebody there. He got off his own bike and he said that he eventually saw Aisling lying in a ditch in some undergrowth. He said he wasn't quite sure um, because her hair was down over her face. Now, it, w- it was pointed out that this time he didn't know Ashley Murphy. So, when he said he wasn't uh, quite sure, he, he hadn't seen the face. Her hair was down over the face. He said she was on her back. He described her as lying face up. He said her head was at the Tullamore end and her feet were facing Cap and Kerr. He said he went down into the ditch. He shouted. He was trying to see if he could get a response. He said he didn't get any. Uh, he described her as lying motionless. Um, and he said that he he called the guards. He said that he he could see from where he was, and he was asked if he touched the body. He said he hadn't. Um, he said that her hair was quite long, seemed to be pulled down over her face, and he said that she was wearing a lot of clothes. And he remembered the precise time he called the guards. He said it, it was thirty-one minutes past three that afternoon because he would have checked his his phone at the time that he made his statement. Um, Another man then called Janice Wilco, we heard, arrived at the scene at around the same time as Mr. Malloy. He too was out for a cycle that afternoon. He gave evidence today, remembered seeing the bike and then looking further into the ditch where he saw a human leg. And there were also another two witnesses, two men who were power washing a bridge. Uh, They worked for um, Waterways Ireland. They were power washing, doing some work along the canal that day. They also gave evidence today. One of them, Uh, Charlie Kelly described seeing a man on a black bike at Digby Bridge, just at the car park. He had a dark jacket, tracksuit bottoms, uh, Tommy Hilfiger tracksuit bottoms, he said. And he said they had a very distinctive white band down the leg. And he said this person was heading in the direction of Tullamore. And at about half past three that afternoon, then, he gave evidence of his attention being drawn down the canal where he said to Uh, distressed looking women were looking for his help. Uh, He said they were claiming a woman was in trouble and that she was being attacked by a man who was on top of her in a ditch. He he described the canal as being very elevated compared to the surrounding land. And he said that he went down, he saw a bicycle, he saw a pink hat. He said he looked in, saw a woman's body in a tracksuit, dark navy and green. He said it looked like a GAA tracksuit. He said... She was lying face up. He said her face was covered by hair. He described one of her legs as being elevated, 40 feet, 45 degrees angle, he said, up against a tree stump. And he said that he knew she was dead because her hands, he said, were snow white.
1: That's it for episode three of All Rise, the Ashling Murphy murder trial. Tomorrow, the jury will hear from more witnesses in what's expected to be a five week trial.
0: I'm Frank Graney, court's correspondent for News Talk. I'll be in court every day, and you can follow me on x at Frank Graney for updates. And make sure you follow this podcast, All Rise, the Ashley Murphy murder trial, for an impartial and comprehensive account of what happens in court on any given day. All Rise, the Ashley Murphy murder trial, was hosted by Frank Graney and Ashley Moore with sound design by Lachlan Hart. Follow the podcast on Newstalk.com, on the Newstalk app powered by Go Loud, or wherever you get your podcasts.